Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. Well, I want to continue uh, looking at uh, the Apostles' Creed, which is the most basic uh, statements of faith. I mean, if, if there are things that you disagree with in the Apostles' Creed, minus that whole, you know, what does that mean about descending to hell thing? But, you know, the... the, the who God is, what Christ did, his birth, his death, his resurrection, his ministry, and the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, that there's a triune God. I mean, if you don't hold to those major things, that you're, you know, you, that's, that's Christianity. You, you can't be a Christian and, and do that, uh, not hold to those things. So um, the Apostles' Creed is split into three different uh, sections, really. It first talks about God the Father, then God the Son, and now God the Holy Spirit is uh, the third section. And, you know, I talked a little bit uh, about uh, the Holy Spirit last week and uh, some of the uh, general teachings of Scripture, but I want to continue that uh, tonight. And, you know, I, I, I mentioned last week, there, there's, just a lot of, there's just a lot of things that, about the Holy Spirit that, I don't know if you want to say we miss, or, you know, it, you, you have denominations that might concent, so concentrate on the Holy Spirit, they're forgetting that, well, the Holy Spirit bears witness to, to Christ. But then, you know, there's the whole opposite uh, problem that churches have when they uh, completely ignore the Holy Spirit. And we can't do that uh, either. And I think of something that David Platt wrote in uh, his book, Radical. Um, he said that I am most convicted as a pastor that I am part of a system that has created a whole host of means and methods, plans and strategies for doing church that require little, if any, power from God. I am frightened by the reality that the church I lead can carry on most of our activities, never realizing that the Holy Spirit of God is virtually absent uh, from the pictures. You know, and so that really is kind of convicting about the self-reliance that we have. I mean, that's the American thing, right? We're big, strong Americans. We can do these things uh, on our own. We, we know how uh, to do it. And that includes, well, you know, we can, we can even fake the Holy Spirit or something like that. You know, we, we can just uh, do that. And, and so really it's convicting about how little we think of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by saying that is, you know, how little we think of the Holy Spirit as in we don't regard him very often, but also how insignificant we might think uh, that he is. Because too often we think the Holy Spirit is kind of an add-on, um, something extra, like a bonus. Hey, you get God the Father, you get God the Son, well, you get the bonus of God the Holy Spirit um, as well. You know, we won't, I don't think anyone would put it maybe in that, you know, those kind of terms, but still, that's kind of the way that we, uh, we, we treat them. You know, I, I think of, because um, I like to use Chrome for my web browser, and you know, what you can do, you can get all these extensions, these add-ons to the Chrome red, web browser, right? So that the web browser connects to one of your programs on your computer or vice versa, and you know, they're able to interact, they're able to share information, they're able to to work together, you know, the, the add-on isn't the main program, it's just, ah, oh, this little extra thing that helps you along the way. Well, 
I wonder how often, you know, that's the way we think of the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, he's like the extension. He's the add-on to our browser of life. You know, he just kind of helps us in the, these things uh, here and there. But, but the truth is, I mean, if you take the fullness of Scripture, the Godhead always works together. And we would have nothing that we have apart from the Holy Spirit. We can't so separate the Godhead that, you know, one part of the Godhead becomes more important than another person. You know, I shouldn't say part, but one person in the Godhead becomes more important than the, the others. They, they always work in tandem. Yes, they have different roles, but to be blessed with every spiritual blessing, we need Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that includes here within the church. We need Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit because not only does the Holy Spirit empower us to do what we need to do, I mean, the Holy Spirit started the church, was there to start the church. There would be no church without the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and it includes more. So in going over the um, Apostles' Creed, you know, and you, there's a brief statement about the Father, there's a bit of a longer statement about the Son, and then it, uh, it talks about the Holy Spirit. And it, it seems like at the end, there's just a whole bunch of random theological things that are added on at the end. But really, they're connected to the work of the Holy Spirit. They're connected with the Holy Spirit. It's... It, his work that has made these things a reality uh, in our lives. And um, he made them active in our lives. So I want to really uh, touch upon that. Let me read um, the, the Apostles' Creed and then kind of uh, demonstrate what I mean by that. But the Apostles' Creed reads like this. This is our a statement of faith, a very summarized statement of faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting Amen and, and amen. So last week I, I spoke, you know, in, in general terms, what Jesus taught uh, about the Holy Spirit, very summarized version of what uh, John uh, in his gospel records for us. Um, you know, teachings like that, that the Holy Spirit indwells us, the Holy Spirit brings his, uh, God's word to remembrance and, and enlightens God's word for us. Um, he, he points the way to Christ, he testifies about Christ, and the Holy Spirit testifies um, about the truth. But now I want to start connecting the Holy Spirit with what those, what's seemingly random theological statements that come uh, afterwards. So it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and then the next statement says that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And, okay, so you read that, and at first glance, you freak out a little bit. Wait a minute. He just said the Holy Catholic Church. So there might be some people out there thinking that I have regressed to my pre-salvation days and I'm going to start wearing a funny hat, call myself Pope, and then, you know, 
uh, all, all, all the, these other things because you're th- you, you see that and you're like, wait a minute, we're Baptists. <laughs> we, we, we ain't Catholic. But it, it's okay. Don't worry about it. It's not pointing toward the Roman Catholic denomination because it's using the word Catholic in its very general terms because the word Catholic simply means universal. Suppose you could substitute the word universal there where Catholic is so people don't freak out when they say the word Catholic. So we believe in the holy universal church. Either way. And this phrase, you know, goes with uh, the communion of saints. And, you know, it's, it's stating that we believe that there is one true church. God has one people, one true church that stretches all over the earth, has exists all over time since the inception of the church after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and, you know, things that we'll talk about here in a second. So we believe that there is one universal church. Yes, there are local embodiments of the church. There are local institutions of the church. This is not denying that there is a local church, that we, but we are part of something bigger. We are part of the whole. We are part of the holy universal church. There is one true church because Christ is the bridegroom. How many brides does the bridegroom have? One, one bride. So there is one church, one church universal. So that's what's meant, you know, when you see the holy Catholic church, that's what's meant when you see the term like the communion of saints, the union of, of the saints. So now, Jesus founded the church, obviously. He is the foundation of the church, but then the Holy Spirit birthed the church. And so what do I mean by that? Well, let let me first consider Jesus being the foundation and then the Holy Spirit kind of birthing the church. So first, I want to start in Matthew 16 and read verses 13 through 19, very famous verse, uh, because we know this is Peter's declaration uh, uh, and statement of faith and so this is very important but there's some important things here about the church so what matthew 16 says verses 13 through 19 is that now when jesus came into the district of caesarea philippi he asked his disciples who do people say that the son of man is and they said some say john the baptist others elijah others jeremiah or one of the prophets and he said to them who do you say that i am Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Or if you want to get into the Greek, you are Petros, and upon this Petra I will build my church. Two separate words. That's a whole other thing about the Catholic church. No, Peter is not the first pope. And, and, but he goes on and says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed uh, in, in heaven. And so Jesus uses the opportunity to take what Peter says and uh, to talk about the new people that he would create. Uh, his assembly of believers. That's what the word church means. It means assembly. 
And he first says that this will be a people who are founded on a upon a confession of truth. They would confess a faith that grants them entrance into this people, into this assembly, being part of the people of God. And the confession of faith is based on the truth who Jesus is. And so we join Peter in this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's based on that confession. It's based on belief in, in that truth. It's based on trust in that truth. Jesus is who he said he was. He died on the cross. He rose again. He accomplished all of these things. You know, we believe in him as his person. We believe in his work. And that is the founding confession of the church. The church is based on truth in who Jesus is. And again, these creeds and confessions we're looking at, they spell these things out for us, what we believe about Christ, but about, about theology in general. But this is the founding confession of the church. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You become part of the assembly, part of the people, by this confession of belief. But then we also notice that the church is founded on power. Because Jesus says that those who are part of this assembly, those who are part of this church, through this confession, will, he will not allow the gates of hell to prevail against this assembly, against the church. So this can be taken from a couple of different angles. We, we normally first take it to mean that, you know, that the gates of hell cannot prevent us from fulfilling our missionary and Great Commission task. I mean, the, you know, Satan will try and close, close out the church from, from bringing souls into the kingdom of light. And Jesus is like, no, it's not going to stop you. But it also means that, that hell won't be able to fence us in, so to speak, to keep us from the Savior, to keep us from spreading throughout the world. I mean, no matter what lies that the world and the devil tries to throw at us, the church cannot be stopped. You've heard maybe the term, the church victorious. That's because Satan and hell cannot stop the church. And yet, it seems like we always do. Why is that? Because we don't believe. We don't believe that, we really don't believe that the gates of hell can't stop us. We're too busy just trying to maintain instead of being, you know what, I I'm a child of God. I am part of the church. S Satan can't do anything except speak lies to me and I start to believe the lies. And he's the father of lies, so he's pretty good at what he does. And he'll try and tell you that, oh, no, no, the, the gate is shut. You are surrounded. There's nothing you can do. No, Jesus just said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. I'm part of the church. Forward march, charge, let's go. So the church has power, it's founded on power, but the church is also founded on an authority because Jesus says that the keys of the kingdom are given to the church. The keys of the kingdom are not given to Peter. The keys of the kingdom are given to the church who has authority over spiritual matters. The church as a group adjudicates truth of matters as found in Scripture, which is what is binding. So the church is given a great uh, responsibility of a stewardship 
of, of authority. And so Jesus says, this is the foundation of my church. We know that Jesus is the cornerstone, and we are built up uh, on that. Uh, the apostles, you know, in, in a manner of speaking, you know, the, the different metaphors that are used in Scripture, they're the kind of, found, Jesus is the cornerstone, the apostles are the foundation, and we're built up uh, from there. So what in the world does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit birthed the church and made these things a reality within the church. The Holy Spirit draws people to confess the truth about Christ. The Holy Spirit empowers the church to overcome the gates of hell. The Holy Spirit gives the authority to bind and loose on the earth. And we see this in the book of Acts, and which we know is all about the church. And so the beginning of the church. So after Jesus was raised from the dead, he told his disciples this in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. He said, you know, while they were staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And it's when the baptism of the Holy Spirit came in that initial part that, uh, you know, that the church was birthed. Now, that was, you know, then the birth of the church. Now, those who are born again, those who believe in Christ, that's when the Spirit baptism comes. That's when you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But this is the birth of the church. So when you look in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit gave uh, them utterance. And so, boom. The birth of the church. Those who confess the truth about Christ, filled, empowered. And so what did they do? You know, you read the rest of Acts chapter 2. They went out, they preached, people believed, and they were, you know, baptized with the, the Spirit. And so the, the whole book of Acts is this fulfillment of what Jesus promised in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 16. And then from there, you know, the church would spread throughout the world, going from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, reaching the Gentiles. And you notice the gates of hell were not able to contain them. And they laid the foundation of the faith for the church, for us today, and on until Jesus returns. So when the Holy Spirit descended and indwelt and filled on Pentecost, God's people became one holy Catholic slash universal church. And so it, it became a spiritual unity, one entity, one people, the church. It, it, it's holy. You know, we call it a holy Catholic or universal church. It's holy in that Christ is sanctifying his people for himself. It, it's Catholic in that it's universal. It crosses geographic lines. It crosses racial lines. It even crosses denominational lines. Did you know there were, there's going to be Methodists in heaven? There's going, to be, there's going to be Presbyterians in heaven. Like, you know, I'm being goofy, but you know, sometimes to some Baptists that comes as a shock. Uh, that, that there, will be, there will be Charismatics in heaven. Now, that's because the, 
you know, they're able to confess the same things, you know, that we confess here in the Apostles' Creed. But that's the difference, say, from the Mormon church. The Mormon church cannot, cannot affirm what we say here in the Apostles' Creed. The Jehovah's Witnesses cannot affirm what we say here. They are not part of the church. But those who believe, no matter denomination, we are all together. We are one, and we are, it's a communion of, uh, of saints. And, you know, it's apostolic. You know, sometimes the word apostolic is used, I think, like in the Nicene Creed and others, because, you know, it's, it's built upon the teachings of, uh, of the apostles. They're the ones that the Holy Spirit inspired uh, to write uh, the scriptures. And, and, and so it is a one, holy, universal, built on scriptures, church. We are a people of God through Christ, and, and the Holy Spirit realizes this in our lives. And so we become a communion of, of saints, as it says here. I believe in the communion uh, of saints, the, the connection, the unity uh, of the saints. Now, you know, the word saint uh, means holy ones, and it refers to anyone who has been born again and believes in Jesus Christ. You know, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm doing some apologetics against the Catholic Church here tonight, you know, to make sure that you don't think that I've reverted back or anything like that, uh, using that, using that term. Uh, but the word saint isn't pointing to some super-duper holy person like a, you know, superhero Christian. Um, Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ, truly, is a saint. So if you want to go around and call yourself saint, hello, my name is Saint Al, I'm glad to meet you. You know, you're more than welcome to because everyone who's believed in Christ is, is a saint. And so believers, holy ones, we are united. We are, we are united in Christ. We are united in the confession of, of who he is that this, this whole concept of communion of saints reminds us we are not loners, we're not loner Christians. There is no such thing as a loner Christian. We're part of a group. Yes, we, we have a local church that we're a part of, and, you know, God works through here. I mean, Harvest Baptist Church, we're a local institution, iteration of the church, but we're, we're part of the church at large. Because all of our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world are part of this communion uh, of saints. And, but what's interesting, too, is we are also part of all the saints that have lived since the birth of the church, in, in a sense. You know, we have a rich ancestry of theology and, and teaching. I mean, we, we are part of the same universal church that Charles Spurgeon was a part of, or, you know, name your favorite theologian, from the past. I mean, we're part of the same church that Paul, Peter, uh, we're a part of. We're, we are in that communion of saints with, with them. We're part of that community. And we share in the riches of Christ. And, and we use those riches to further the kingdom, to further the church, to bring more into that communion uh, uh, of saints. You know, calling others to believe and, and partake in that. So this is a work of the, the Holy Spirit. And so as a local institution of the universal church, you know, we want to pray that we don't grieve the Spirit, we don't quench the Spirit, but, you know, as the church, we're 
empowered, we're following the confession of truth, we're empowered, we're going out there, and, and um, you know, we, we're, we're doing the work that we're called to and, and rightly using the authority uh, that has been uh, given to us. Uh, we're part of the bride. And what Scripture says is part of Christ's work is sanctification. I mean, he makes us holy. Makes us holy as individuals, but also as a body of Christ. I mean, it's just weird. We're Americans, and so we're loners, in a sense. But um, if, when you read the New Testament, it, it really doesn't talk a lot about individual as much as it talks about the group, the church, the church, the church, the church. You're part of the church. You're part of the group. You're part of the... And, uh, you know, together uh, we're able to do the work uh, of Christ, and we want to pray um, that we fulfill uh, His calling uh, in our lives, empowered by the Spirit. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at KidsQuest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.